ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. About to share this episode thanks to these fine companies I depend on in the field. Game Changer Calls. The GC was designed with all hunting callers in mind. Though elk is the intended target, the unique size is a game-changing tool for turkey and coyote callers as well. It is not designed to replace your tube or open reads, but rather to complement the caller's repertoire in the field. Vortex Optics. Proudly made in the USA, Hoffman Boots. If you're heading to the backcountry and you need some meals that won't bog you down, check out SasquatchFuel.com. 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. For more information on conservation in action, head over to SasquatchFuel.com. Titanium Archery Products. Dedicated archers deserve truly unique products that provide all the performance attributes that they demand, and that's exactly what TAP delivers. For more brands we run and trust, jump on westerncontours.com partners page. Look for the code Western Contours and save a few dollars off your order. So, man oh man, I'm on with the one, the only, the elk singer, Tony Winthrop. Tony I appreciate you, brother. Uh, thanks for taking the time, man. We've been trying to get this one down for a little while and schedules being what they are, but we're finally here, man. Welcome. Hey, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Absolutely, man. So I, you know, for the, for the elk hunters, right? Anybody that doesn't know Tony Wintrip, uh, I think you're sleeping. Um, but just for the folks that may not, and then, you know, folks overseas and, back east midwest why don't you give us a little intro and let us know you know who tony is um you know your your outdoor life and then we'll we'll take it from there man yeah so at tony one trip uh, i live on the washington coast nestled in the heart of roosevelt country i'm 45 years old i'm a road maintenance technician for lewis county public works on the i-5 corridor 
and uh, my passion is elk hunting and music. So I've been writing music about elk hunting, fishing, deer hunting, uh, my kind of country music. I guess I kind of went off on my own little, uh, um, create you know, style. Of, yeah. Create your own genre, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Campfires. So that's, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. I mean, I'll tell you, I'm a goober, man. I'm a total goober. I, I don't say things, uh, as good as I, I guess I do when I write them. <laughs> it's easier to write, it's easier to write a song and make sense than it is for, for me to talk and actually make sense. My wife tells me that all the time. She's like, you don't make any sense. Hey man, I'm I know the, I don't. <laughs> I'm the same way, man. I think it, but I can't say it half the dang time. And I got a podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> we make, we make a good team. <laughs> we're, we're a great team, buddy. So man, you know, and I, and I said it before I, I hit record in the first time that I heard bull down. I haven't been hunting elk, but a couple years been, you know, amping up and getting in the elk game. I'm going to say now for three, thinking about it forever, applying for points here in my home, my home state for what do I have now? 17 points. I probably missed a season or two, so I should be in like the 20 point range. Um, But there's just something about hearing songs about something that we're passionate about, something that we love, the lifestyle. And man, it just, I mean, it just spoke to me. It spoke to my heart, man. Um, Just the amount of passion that comes through in your music and listening to it. uh, Has it, has that, I can't imagine it hasn't, but has that been something that's spawned over your entire life? Have you always been singing and writing songs about hunting or is it, you know, something that you said, Hey, I'm going to just give this a whirl. So, uh, first of all, thanks for the kind words. I, uh, I was playing baseball in college in 95, 94, 95. And, uh, I had a college choir class and all my buddies were like, what are you doing, man? You, you're just taking the easy way out or what? And I'm like, no, I love to sing. So I had my first, uh, my first solo and it was a George Strait song. I love George Strait. And they were like, man, you, that's pretty awesome. You, uh, you got to pick up, pick up a guitar and learn how to play. And, and I, I'd re you know, recently tried guitar a few times and I was really crappy at it, (laughs) but I don't know whatever possessed me other than breakups with girlfriends or going through, you know, funky times that I started to write about. But, uh, I started there, um, basically, more of that older country music and then you know as passionate as i am about elk hunting especially i just thought man nobody's writing songs about elk hunting i should do that you know heck with nashville (laughs) Uh, so so i uh you know i got in a couple contests won a couple contests got some confidence got to do a little recording in seattle and then did some recording down in aberdeen and then next thing you know i was uh opening for Brian White, he was, you know, pretty big in the, in the nineties, uh, basically thrown right into a opening knack with 2,500 people, just me and my guitar. And, and at that point I knew I wanted to, you know, make a living on the stage if I could. And, uh, so that's kind of how I, how I got really going with the guitar, but then the music around the campfires with El Cutton and, you know, drinking beer with my dad and my buddies and having that good camaraderie thing really gave me the confidence to just reach outside of my box and be, you know, be me. Like you, you know, like you said before, you know, we are, 
we are who we are and and what we stand for and so i'm a <laughs> i'm a glorified campfire tavern bar elk writing son of a gun <laughs> elk killing son of a gun <laughs> you can throw that one on the back man it all, all goes, right it I all like goes that. it all goes hand in hand well you said something right so you you said you got some confidence and it and I'm going to relate everything to hunting, everything in my life at this point, man, it relates to hunting. So yeah. you said you got some confidence in your music um, and that's important to make those strides, but that's important in the woods too, man. Um, having that confidence, whether you're chasing, you know, deer, mule deer, whitetail or elk. I mean, that's huge um, to have that confidence yes. in what we do, man. Yes, it is. Yep. I a hundred percent fully feel like uh, from the start of hunting season to the end of season you need to be confident shooting you need to be confident scouting you need to be confident calling uh, everything revolves around confidence heck yeah i couldn't let that one pass man so no what i, I want to know give me your top four tony Rintrip tracks what are the top four i'm gonna see how they compare to mine a top four, I'm going to go with, uh, you know, I got a couple of new ones that I really like off the Freezer Bound album. Um, if I was to go back to, you know, the Pull Down album, uh, Pull Down is one that's highly requested when I play in uh, taverns or bars or casinos. We always got to play Pull Down. So I'm going to throw that up there. It's probably number one. I got a new song called Born and Raised that's really done well. People are downloading that one. Um, Miss Me in September really tells a story about my life. And, you know, it's not so much that way with my wife. She really likes it when I'm gone, actually, because <laughs> I don't snore. And and uh, so but but it tells the story about that young kid that's uh, going to get married. But he has that love for elk hunting. and. Mama wants him home in September going, wait, 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 you can't be gone two weeks. And he says, oh, no, you're going to miss me in September. <laughs> says, you can't hide passion. Um, if this is what I got to do two weeks out of a year, then, you know, the other 330 some days I'll be with you. But until then, you're going to miss me in September. So that would be number three. And then a song called City Lights. City Lights, back in the day when we played a lot with my old band, uh, we got some airplay on some radio stations with that song, and it, it you know it really tells the life of a of a country guy that's all of a sudden he gets in the city and he just feels out of place. He he can't see the stars at night because there's too many lights. So, um, and then it's got a good jam at the end of it with uh, some some players on my album that were amazing. So. Yeah, I'm the opposite, man. Probably those four. <laughs> city boy that can't wait for the mountain stars. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so That's I, awesome. So I hit I hit one of them. I got bull down. Um but the fever. Oh yeah. Big racks, bloody backs. Bull down. North River Lovin'. I'm right on, man. Yeah, that's that that Gosh. is that's my four right there in that order. <laughs> Uh, that's a good, you know, I forgot about the fever. That's that, that one gets, uh, requested quite a bit too. And I actually wrote that song two years ago, the day before opening day, sitting with my dad, we put our wall tent up. I mean, we're at, what were we? 
5,500 feet and we're just sitting there having a couple of beers and I'm like, God, I got the fever bad, you know, <laughs> and that fever was all that, uh, you know, all that built up for opening day being the next day. So I just reached out and wrote exactly how it was with the noble furs and that smell and just everything about leaning into opening day of elk season. Man, isn't that so that's that that's that uh, other three hundred and sixty some odd days you were talking about to to that yeah. girl. <laughs> yeah. It's all that build up, man. Yeah. That's all that build up. Yeah, I really that that you know, if that's a hard one though, the fever and North River loving, man. I I got North River loving as four. But man, nice. that's they're they're almost interchangeable as far as which one I like. I really like that song. Really, really like that Bob, song. I appreciate you listening, buddy. So, man, life through music, right? And that's and that's one of the things that I was saying, right? Is is listening to this stuff? It just speaks to me when we start talking about hunting, and it's hunting, man. When you live it, is just it's relatable. 365 24 7 right i mean it just doesn't go away it's ingrained in us um yes so give us a little bit of that man life through music how how important is that i mean especially nowadays i hate saying that right we're both 45 i feel like an old ass um start sounding (laughs) like your parents but man you listen to some of this music now and i don't really it doesn't matter the genre it's it's garbage man I'm yeah. sorry, but it's yep. garbage. I mean, it, there's no, there's almost no meaning to it. It's just, it's thoughtless. It's not thought provoking at all. It is just, it's garbage. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of, I'm, I'm happy who I am as a songwriter. I don't think I write the best songs, but I, I tell it like it is, you know, I, I, I write about how I feel, you know, like, uh, uh, for example, you know, the, the whole bull down song. I mean, that's just, passion when you get a bull down or how you want to put a bull down um you know or born and raised how i was born and raised uh the fever freezer bound (laughs) that freezer bound is uh you know one of those songs that means the world to me because it tells that story about that guy that's on a backcountry hunt laying underneath the stars seeing the satellites at night we all know how cool that is and he you know he can't wait till the next day and he's hearing wolves howling in the backcountry uh Idaho and then that reassuring end of the song is when you got that elk on your back and you're you're heading down the trail freezer bound <laughs> I'm grinning so, right that now. <laughs> one, yeah that that one to me every time I you know it's a little underrated as far as one of the favorites but when I do hear it I'm proud of it because it's a relaxing mood you know as you're driving from, you know, Nevada back to Washington and you're just cruising, I think that's the song people would want to hear. The the success song, the gosh, I got a weight lifted off my back. It's going to be a good year. We got meat in the freezer. We're freezer bound. Heck yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> on the contrasting end, what's that line in bull down? Um, with one clean miss right over his back. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the contrast to freezer bound, man. <laughs> that, that was my year in Colorado this year, man. We, uh, my boy, my, we, we just happened to cross paths with a nice five. And, uh, it was, you know how fast it can go, man. Lickety split. And 
my bow was ready to go and I told him range and he ranged and the range was about 26 yards off and uh, right over his back, man. And, and that's all <laughs> I could think of after, you know, after you're not pissed anymore. And I just laughed and laughed thinking about that, man. I'm like with one clean miss right <laughs> over his back. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's a definite story with that arrow that went over that bull's back that had some inclination to me writing. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done that. I don't care what, what we're hunting. It's either low, high. You got that, you know, yeah. that one or two that's left or right, man. Just those, those misses, but it's all part of it, man. But that's where the it truth, is. the truth and the passion in your music is at is being able to take those experiences. And that's a hell of a skill, man, to take, to take those experiences and put them to music. I mean, that I was thinking about that this evening before we started recording. I'm like, as, as passionate as I am about hunting and as much as I love hunting, I don't think I can write a, <laughs> I don't think I can write a song <laughs> about hunting, man. It's just not in me. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't really know how it came about in my family. Um, nobody's ever been in music in my family. And so I don't know what, you know, happened with God giving me some talent to, to just go after it and try, you know, there's something for everybody and how it landed into my, um, into my talent. I have no idea whatever that talent is. I'm just meaning it's, you know, landed into my soul that I'm supposed to do it. Uh, um, um, I, I like it. <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, I mean, it comes out, man. I mean, to me, it's important, right? If we're passionate about something, just chase it. Um, yeah. at the end of the day, if you don't, whether you succeed, fail or fall somewhere in between, it's just regret if you didn't go after it, mm -hmm. you know, just regret. So yeah, that's, uh, I think it's badass, man. I, I strummed the guitar a little bit, probably like late nineties, but it was all drop D tune stuff, you know? Um, Oh, wow. Did a lot of, did a yeah. lot of Southern California, um, gigs and, you know, we played the whiskey. We did quite a bit, man. I'll have to, uh, offend everyone's ears wow. one day with that stuff. So it's, Oh, uh, I can't wait. That's it's, awesome. It's pretty funny to, to look back like my boy really digs it. You know, he's uh, just made 18 and he'll see pictures and stuff. And it's like, dang, that was a lifetime ago, man. <laughs> Freaking <laughs> lifetime. I like it. So, uh, <laughs> some of those, man, why don't you give us some of the lessons on the mountain, man? You're a, you're a, very accomplished elk hunter, right? There's nothing in, in my opinion that comes in the elk woods. Yeah. We get lucky every now and again. Um, but in the elk woods, it's a little bit different than in my opinion, than hunting deer, at least in my limited experience with elk. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think growing up on the Washington coast, I mean, it's a jungle over here. Uh, I never hunted Rocky mountain elk till I'd probably killed nine or 10 Roosevelt's and then decided it was time to branch out and, uh, you know, do a hunt in Idaho and then, you know, a couple down in Oregon. Um, the coast made me a really good hunter as far as, um, you know, being able to call elk in. Um, there's so much structure that you have to learn to be able to shoot through or be able to call an elk in so you don't have to take those marginal shots. Um, I learned a lot then. And then when I thought I knew it all and I went after those Rocky Mountain elk, I didn't know crap about those thermal switches in that high country 
compared to being here on the coast, you get pretty, pretty dominant winds sometimes where you get the wind right and you're good for, you're good for 10 minutes. That's not always the case, but man, when I went after Rocky mountains, the first couple of times and I got up on a ridge top and the wind went this way and then it went that way. I thought, what the hell have I got myself <laughs> into? <laughs> but, uh, so I, I learned a lot that way, you know, and then, um, made a few failed attempts and then all of a sudden you know after uh going back and trying over and over and over i had some successful hunts in oregon and idaho elk hunting but i really think the big lesson with um especially the mountains is being prepared uh, i killed a bull in the mountains in eastern washington one year and we'd hunt nine days straight and then we finally just decided we were going to day pack in one day and, and we didn't have our main packs and <laughs> we, we had game bags in our, in our packs just in case, but, um, ended up harvesting a really nice six by seven. And there we sat with game bags and these little teeny backpacks, just with <laughs> our water and knives and stuff. And we had to hike out two and a half miles just to get our packs and then go back in. But in the meantime, we were, piggybacking those loads like santa claus packing a bag over his shoulder up the up the mountain because they wouldn't fit in the, they wouldn't fit in our backpacks that's man that's um, painful <laughs> yeah i've, I've yeah, done that so, with mule deer that sucks <laughs> <laughs> can't imagine yeah. an elk with it so so we really learned our lesson um as far as the mountains that way is is make sure you're prepared no matter if you're going to go for three hours or if you're going to go for you know a full 10 10 hour day in september you make sure you got that stuff because you never know when it's going to happen and we like I said we were in there nine days and we had ins and outs of into elk and then not into elk and we were gassed and then you know we had hardly any meat left on our bodies and we killed that bull and went oh no now we got 11 hours it took us to pack that bull out so it was it was something, but uh, it was our own fault. If we would have had our packs the first time, it, we, we, we could have cut it in half. Oh, no, man, I'm a little superstitious because uh, there's been times where I've gone in knowing that I was going to kill something, fully loaded, prepared, ready to go, didn't see a thing, and go in the next time thinking, oh, it's been slow, and don't take nothing. And, man, I'm doing the Santa Claus, tie, tying two bags together with a quarter in each, trying to shoulder them suckers, man, going up some of this terrain. That That's so true. It's almost like it happens for a reason. Oh, man. You know what? Do we ever learn, though? That's, <laughs> that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Now I'm to the point where it's, yeah. if it's a day trip or not, man, I'm, I'm going in there with provisions to stay at least a night and – anything I need to, I mean, it's just, it becomes a safety thing to a point. Right. And I think a lot of that comes with experience or age, wanting to make sure you make it home for your family. I've put myself in some God awful positions over 20 years in the woods. And yeah, I, sometimes you look back at that wow. stuff and go, damn, I was lucky. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. That's for sure. So, uh, man, you, you have a, a saying, just elk it. And being yes. kind of new to the elk game for me, it, it makes perfect sense, right? And I, unlike Bull Down, it didn't ring in my head this year. So, you know, we were in Colorado. I'm not going to go through the whole story because everybody that listens has heard it probably a million times since September. Um, 
But a lot of, and it's great information out there, but a lot of the information we get, right, is call it, we, we, there's an expectation, I think, to a point to call the elk in, to get in this, this calling fest with the elk. And that's really hindsight, of course, being 2020. That's really where my elk season fell to is one, I think the excitement of getting into a, a, a pissing match with a bull. Um, but just elk it, man, if, if that would have stayed in my head when I was in those woods, I think I'd have, I'd have been a bit more aggressive and, and just elked it. Um, give us some background on that and where that came from and how that works in your scenarios. Oh man, I live and die by it. Um, so, you know, there's been so much about calling elk over the last, you know, probably the last 12, 15 years, especially with social media and calling contests. It's great. I love it. Right. So everybody's had those failed attempts where you're calling a bull and he hangs up and you think he's running off and they just give up. They're like, well, we'll just come back tomorrow. Well, a lot of times there might not be a tomorrow. There might not be that bull. You might not ever find him again. Uh, or there might be somebody else there that, that finds him and kills him. And say you leave him at 11 o'clock in the morning and somebody else hikes in there and kills him at three. So my, when I feel that there is a, a foiled plan or attempt is when just elk it comes in. Uh, for, for example, um, the really, the big bull that I harvested a couple years ago, uh, Washington state record bull, this bull literally, uh, got me and my brother in, in a, in a, just a disaster because he came in where I didn't think he was going to come in and I was calling him for my brother and I didn't have an arrow ready or nothing. Cause I was watching his demeanor to see if he could see the bull. There he is looking at me at 30 yards and he's got just coffee can bases. And I went, Oh crap, that's a monster. That bull boogers. And he, he takes off and we ended up getting cliff hung one time and we couldn't go after him. And, we got back down to the truck about a few hours later and I told my brother, I said, man, I look destiny in the eye. That's the biggest bull I've ever seen. We can't leave it. And my brother's like, yeah, absolutely not. We need to go kill his ass. So when we thought we were going to drive away and leave, we just took a whole new route. And, you know, hour and a half later, there's the bull and he's hooking a tree. And so once again, I tried to call him for my brother and my brother, he tried to get through this little patch of ferns um, to where he could be about 90 yards and be able to see what the bull was going to do when he came in. And that bull pegged him. So the main part of just Elkett to me is I watched my brother cower down and I looked up at that bull and he had the stink eye on my brother and he wouldn't take it off. Well, there's just some giant trees up there where we're hunting. And I thought it's over right now. He's going to go. He knows something ain't right. So I just, you know, I had to cut about 40, 50 yards. I just got behind that tree and that bull's um, out of his view and went straight to him as fast as I could. And he didn't even see, you know, he didn't see me because that tree was, you know, four or five feet around. And then I just leaned around the tree, uh, ranged him and smoked him. Um, But the whole, the whole thing about it was it wasn't a perfect scenario. So I said, we just elked it. You know, we just, you know, we didn't call, we called it in one time. It got away. I mean, we've had two foiled plans and 
I, I kind of just used my instincts saying it's over. It's now or never just elk it. So I did. <laughs> you know, it, so you said something there, you said hooking a tree. So for folks that are wondering what that is, that's what, uh, that's rubbing, rubbing the tree. So he's rubbing. That, that's, that's rubbing a tree. And we've always called it hooking because, you know, they basically take their horns from the bottom and they go up and their eye guards are basically hook shaped and they, they really hook a lot with their, you know, their eye guards in between their beams there. And, and so it's just a redneck term from the coast, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, why that, that seems, per, that's my scenario with deer, right? But at the end of the day, I don't, and I'm not sure why, you know, with this, with the calling sequences and things like that, but we really don't have, what's the worst case scenario? If, if we, if we bust that animal or send that animal off because we sat there and did a calling sequence for 40 minutes, an hour, 30 minutes, whatever it is, however long he decides to stay versus just getting aggressive and going in when that opportunity presents itself in, in a blink of an eye, the outcome mm-hmm. is going to be one or the other on either end of that scenario. He's either going to come in and take the arrow. You're going to bust him. I mean, what's the difference if you're, if you're getting aggressive and referring right back to Colorado, man, in September, I kicked myself in the butt cause I had, uh, you know, three, four different opportunities where if I would have just elked it, there would more than likely be a dead bull. And the worst part about it right now is I'm saying that based on a hypothetical, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If I just did it, yep. I, I would, you know, I would know, okay, that didn't work. This did. And and just playing it safe. It, it's, it's hard, though, with the amount of information, the flood of information that's out there and trying to decipher it. Um, I often, you know, wonder how a guy that's just getting into hunting that doesn't have any, you know, experience in the deer woods or anything, how they even meander through half of that information. And and it's great information, but I, I think mm-hmm. there's such a flood of it that there's no way that you can make sense by just, you know, on YouTube or, or, you know, on a podcast or whatever it is. It's crazy. The amount of information, man, crazy. Yeah. A, a lot of it is learning from your mistakes too, as you know, you, you, you think right now you're looking back going, gosh, I should have tried this. I should have tried that. So I, a lot of just elk it, I think comes in with, with a lot of failed attempts from me and my, my brother, he's my number one partner in life for life. You know, we've, we've been through it all. We've talked about them all and rarely there's perfect scenarios. So you just learn to go with when it doesn't come in perfect and, you know, you see the bull's demeanor, obviously that bull had, He'd been spooked once already when he saw me try to put an arrow in my in my rest after, you know. Um, and then when he pegged my brother the second time, and I know from past experiences myself when when a bull gives you that certain look and he stops hooking a tree and he's got his ears up, he says, I know something ain't right. And so your window right there is short. Split it's now or never. Right. You know, so that's that's why I did that. But on the flip side of that, if the country wasn't so big where we were hunting, um, I don't know if he would have stuck around there if we we spooked him one more time. And I wouldn't have known where to find him. There's no roads there. It's, you know, other than the road that we traveled to get to there. So it was a split second decision over, you know, 30 or 40 times where it didn't work out. And the good Lord on my side. Uh, 
I made the shot and then, you know, walked up on that bull was the biggest bodied critter. I bet he was, I don't know, 10, 10 feet long. He was something else, man. Roosevelt bulls are no joke. I mean, no disrespect to Rockies. They're big and I've shot some really nice Rockies, but, uh, this bull, uh, was a true giant. So I, I think a lot of what, <clears throat> what we hear too with Rosie's is they're not as vocal as Rockies. Um, but I think, uh, I think that depends on I, I, a lot of, you know, is it pressure? Are they, you know, where they're at? Cause you hear some guys talk about, you know, you start talking about Oregon, um, you know, you get guys that are central to Southern say, man, they're, they're vocal as all can be. And then you get, you know, a little further up there. Um, and then you hear people say man, they're just, they're silent animals. Are, are you, how are your Roosevelt's versus the Rockies when it comes to, when it comes to the vocalizations? I would say you're probably right there. Um, we can, we can get some hot bowls here and there for a couple of days. And, and then it just, there's times where it reminds you of turkey hunting where you hear a hundred turkeys gobble one day and then somebody just closed the newspaper and nobody talks. That's, that is pretty similar. And I don't know if it's the weather, um, but it's something, it's something in the air. Um, <laughs> Rockies, it just seems like Rocky mountain bulls. I mean, and it could depend on population of elk. It could depend on, you know, so many elk of the same size and age that, you know, they don't want to give themselves up because they know everybody else out there can kick their ass. You know, there's so many variables with that, but I think Rocky Mountain Elk are more vocal than Roosevelt's. I really do. And I think that's a lot and of the intrigue with them too, is, is those vocalizations, man, and getting, you know, getting into that, that pissing and screaming match with them. Yeah. Yep. And it, that's another thing too. You know, that magic circle is Jimmy Horn always said, you know, you get in within 100, 125, 150 yards of a bull and bugle. The intimidation factor is a lot more than, you know, when you're bugling from five, six, 700 yards away sometimes, and they've gone to bed, they're just laying there like, no, thanks. I'm not, I'm not into it, you know, but you put the pressure on them sometimes. And that's when things seem to really change. You get in their house and it's a make or break deal. It doesn't always work. You know, sometimes it works really good or it works just enough for them to, you know, give their location away. And then you can form your plan from there. Right. So are you so, a, how are you as a caller? Are you, you know, cow call guy? Are you aggressive bugle guy? How does that all play out? Or is it scenario based? You know, I always let them make my next move. I'll, I'll bugle and bugle and bugle um, until I locate one. And then, you know, of course, get the wind right, figure out how I want to situate myself on calling the bull in. And then if the bugle works and he stays heavy with the bugle, I'll stay with it. And if, and if he's coming to the cow call, I'll stick with the cow call. It's, it's a pretty signature thing with calling elk for a lot of people. They'll say stick with what works, but you know, and then there's the hang up period where a bull will hang up and he doesn't do anything, you know, or he just stops, but you know, he hasn't ran off yet. He's just kind of trying to figure out, all right, what's going on. So I, I kind of like to mimic at times where, um, you know, say they go into bed and I'll get in there and I'll cow call from a hundred yards away a couple 
his cows got up and, and fed away from him if he was sleeping. And, and then if he bugles right back, like, Hey, get your ass back over here, you know, well, you can always hit him with that smaller bull. I, it, it never scares them off. If you don't try to sound too big, that, that just brings them, you know, to, to like, okay, well, I'm going to go whoop this guy's ass. He don't sound like he's nothing. At least that means he's going to take a look. Right. And that's all you need. A lot of times, if you're situated in the right spot, all you need is for him to come 40 yards to take a look and there's your shot. But if you go in there and you just light him up with the giant um, bugle from hell (laughs) and he's like, we're getting the hell out of here. He'll round him up and get gone. So, you know, that, that's, that's uh, my favorite scenario basically is to give him a couple of soft cow calls and see if he says, Hey, I need to come over there and get you. And then if he doesn't have any really response, then I hit him with the soft bugle. And I always turn my bugle the other direction a little bit, just so you don't, you know, really spook him. Right. Screaming in his face. Yeah. And then he, then it's his, you know, then it's his deal. We need to see what what move he's going to make. Yeah, that's a man, and I mean, really, the only thing that play that that all plays into is experience and time. Um, and unfortunately, when you're talking talking about you know elk hunting in general, but out of state elk hunting especially, guys don't feel like one they have the time. Two, man, that's a thousand dollar tag, and we always want that instant gratification right I, I gotta have it now um that burning desire to get that bull down man it is yeah. uh, <laughs> it is a powerful powerful thing man it's nuts it, it is but there, there's so yeah, it really is there's so many misconceptions and and, the, and now i'm gonna qualify this right you're talking to a guy that's only been chasing elk for a couple of years um but been hunting for a long time, but there's a lot of misconceptions, man, when, when it comes to hunting elk, because we, we assume that we're going to find a herd. We assume that, um, we're going to see that giant animal moving. And it's amazing to me, man, how stealthy ninja like they are, man. I mean, you're talking 700, 900 pound animal with, with antlers that, you know, 340 inch antlers, and those things will appear out of nowhere and disappear faster than you saw them. Yes, it is absolutely. Just, it's insane, man. Insane. And zero, yep, zero really predictability, is. in my opinion. I don't think, I don't care how seasoned you are. I don't think that there's, some guys have it figured out more than others, but I, I don't think there's any predictability to how that animal behaves unless he's just totally love struck, pissing all over, and he's moving herd and and uh you know chasing off smaller bulls i don't i haven't seen any predictability at all i mean i thought i had my area pegged man and i just it beat my ass for how many days did we end up there i don't even remember (laughs) 16 i think we did 16 days we did 16 yeah and it uh it was a it was a humbling rewarding ass kicking experience (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. That's a lot of days, man. Yeah, especially to come uh, back to it, especially to come back empty-handed 
on a thousand dollar tag. Well, my boy's tag is junior tag, so he's only a couple hundred bucks last year. It's it's it's, uh-huh. it's an amazing thing. But I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that experience and that money. I I wouldn't I don't want it back. No. No, you know, there's there's something about everybody that has uh, a couple of words or lines about elk hunting. You know, you watch professional sports. They do scouting reports on each other and how everybody does this and how, you know, these quarterbacks, everybody knows everything about them, right? They can sit there and look over every video, everything, every stat. But you go in to call in a particular bull elk that you saw three days before season. <laughs> you don't really have any scouting report other than you saw where he was one day. Okay. You don't you don't know how he acts. You don't know, you know, you don't know anything about him other than you saw him and he's in the certain area. So it kind of it's kind of a whole different uh unpredictable scheme that you're trying to uh, draw up to go harvest this bull. Sometimes there's just, there's just no way other than, you know, trying everything until it works out. And, and then if it doesn't, you just say, well, maybe next year, you know, you can watch every video known to man from every, you know, great caller and every great, uh, you know, group of guys and, they show you all the great things that happens. <laughs> they don't show you how many times the bad things happen. Yeah. Right. But that's the, that's the part. I think that's the part that drives me is, is, and it sounds cliche, but that ass kicking chasing elk is different than the ass kicking chasing any other animal. In my opinion, it is, yeah. like I said a, a few minutes ago, it's rewarding. There's something, some weird, sick way that it is rewarding. Successful or not, you kill something or not, it's just you know that you you did what you could every step of the way. Absolutely. Yep. And gosh, and you go so far to fail at sometimes, but it is so addicting, ain't it? <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it's man. just, it's, it's, it's heart, it's heartbreaking when you go miles and miles and miles and you see the pinnacle of all elk, you know, and you're like, Oh Lord, please, you know, Lord, please, I, I'm going to do everything right. And you think, you know, it all. And, you know, some simple, stupid mistake or one thermal switch that you didn't ask for. And it's over and you sit there and you cry like a little baby. But the the passionate part about us is like you said, let's, let's go Keep give going. it hell next year. That's it. We'll, we'll be back. You know, what's funny is, uh, so I was talking to uh, a couple guys out of Arizona. Their Instagram is uh game cams, AZ and these dudes, there's two brothers and, uh, okay. and they run something like 20 or 30 cameras. And we were talking and I was like, well, you know, have you been able to pattern and man, they, and they have some beautiful elk, man. And they said, that's one of the things that they were surprised with is how hard it is to pattern an individual bull. Um, uh-huh. you know, they'll get a bull on a camera and they'll show up on this camera twice and they'll have 20 other cameras, you know, in the surrounding area and they'll never see that bull on another camera. And it, that's just, it's amazing to me. Um, how difficult it is to, you know, it's like, yes, man, I, I just, I don't know. 
um, it leaves me at a loss for words. It doesn't give me much confidence. <laughs> yeah. But I'm still, you know what I mean? Yep. But now I'm chomping at the bit, like, come on, September, man. Yes. Yep. I, I've talked to so many people here in the Coast Range, especially that that know a lot about elk, um, you know, that just happen to be in the right place at the right time and see a giant bull that no one saw. And all of a sudden, you know, five years later, he's harvested, you know, 18 miles from where he was seen. That is so true. They will take off in the rut and they will go and go and go completely away from, like I said about the scheme, man, you find him and you're like, Oh God, I can't wait for two more days. Uh, He might be, you know, he might be over Mount Kilimanjaro. Mm -hmm. You just don't, you don't know, you know? And they're just efficient. If we all, Sorry about that, man. No, you're good. Go for it. I was saying that they're they're efficient, right? In everything they do, they, there's a purpose in what they're doing. So to think that he's going to be in that spot, I mean, what is it, you know, what do you think a stride on an elk is? Four foot? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're talking, you know, you're, bull, you're saying he's oh, yeah. 10 foot end to end. I mean, it's not going to take yeah. him that long oh, yeah. to, to, to cover that distance, man. No. So I'm I'm no. sorry I cut you off there. Where were you? Where were you going? Well, it's one of those things I was telling you. I'm not good at talking very good, so I don't know what direction <laughs> it was going. That's but. all right. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, you know the moral of the story with you know the the elk traveling during you know during the rut. I mean, and that's another thing too. If they're only with a batch of six or seven cows, uh, and you find them three days before season, he might have already been with those cows for three or four days and you know he breeds the ones that come into heat and he catches a sniff from a of a you know a south wind and he takes off you you're still hunting around the same area for three or four days thinking he's still there and he's he's not even there so the ones with the big herds you know obviously they stick around a little bit longer uh trying to breed as many cows as they can but they're also the hardest ones to call in because you've got so many other sets of eyes you know, and, and noses in the air smelling. Mm-hmm. So. so I'm going to get, I'll get a little bit scientific, but I think it plays into what we're talking about. I don't know if it's scientific. So a lot of what I focused on last year was the autumn equinox. Um, you know, that trigger, the moonlight triggers something in the eyes. Um, you, have you seen over the years any any proof of that or any evidence of that? Is that something that plays into, you know, your time in the woods when, uh, when that season kicks off? Cause for me, you know, I was like, oh, I'll go, you know, we'll go September 1st. And I'm saying, ah, well, the equinox isn't, I think it was scheduled or scheduled. Um, but I think they were saying like the 17th or something like that last year. Um, and we didn't, I didn't see any difference, man. Um, is that something that no. you've noticed in your years or. You know, it's a guy reads into that one a lot. I, I really focus on that during deer season more. It seems to be more of a, especially with blacktails. I know blacktails well, um, you know, they're, they're definitely around that, you know, full moon time kicks in the estrus phase and this and that. But as far as the elk go, these Roosevelt's are so unpredictable. That first week of September one year, might just on fire and then you know two you know two years later first week of september it might suck and it might have nothing completely to do with the moon phase so 
don't we we just hunt every day like you know it's it's just another day i don't look at the moon anymore i mean the temperatures are always hot in september um so everything wants to go to bed the first hour and a half after daylight you know they feed all night and then they they want to go to bed um and then they'll get up you know after every couple hours of laying there and especially if it's a and, and he's trying to get his cows out of his bed and run them around but i'm with you i'm not a huge uh moon when it comes to oak and i, I guess just don't think about it that much because i already know what i'm gonna do pretty good about what the moon phase is so are you uh hunt in the morning go back to camp or go back to the vehicle and then head back out in the evening or are you just are you out there all day you know it really depends um i still am blessed to still be able to hunt with my dad and so you know if we're doing to driving one day and and trying to locate a bull and, and you know, we're in an area with a lot of hunters um it gets you know 85 degrees at 11 o'clock and my dad's not real super mobile of getting down to the places that I can get to. We'll just pull back to camp. We'll play some crib, drink some beers, and just, you know, have that elk camp camaraderie. And sure beats the hell out of uh, pushing elk around on a hot day when chances are you're not going to get very close to them anyway. So so that's kind of the – but if I'm in the mountains, it's a different story. We'll, we'll throw, you know, sam. So yeah, if we're in the mountains, we'll throw uh, sandwiches or mountain houses in a pack, and and we'll go deep. And uh, you know, if we we find some elk in a in a hole that we just want to wait them out, then we'll just kind of take a nap, just lay around, or um, and not go back to camp, obviously, because it usually is a couple miles back. And then those rosies where you go in that dark timber. Well, see, that's the hard part, right? Is because when I picture the coast, coastal, you know, Washington or coastal Oregon, um, it's all kind of dark timber. <laughs> that shit. So that rainforest is so thick, man. So will you go into yeah. those bedding areas if you know there's a good bull in there, or is that something you steer away from? Well, and it usually depends on if it's like second growth or old growth or reprod. We call it. These elk are so educated they've been hunted for years they go into reprod which is basically impossible to shoot through uh as far as shooting a bow and arrow so you just wait those elk out you know that's you know if, if you're in a situation where you can leave those because no one else is going to go in there and get them either and then we'll go off and we'll you know we'll bugle in bigger canyons or bugle into big timber patches and see if we can't locate them that way uh, it's basically just cutting a lot of ground after uh, blown saves in this country. So while we're at this point, man, I'm going to, uh, I want everybody to hear a song. So I'm going to drop us into uh, one of my favorites and uh, we'll pick up with some more discussion here in a minute. So give me uh Give me top three tips or tactics and the reason why behind them. And let's exclude wind, right? Because that's a no, in my opinion, a no brainer. If we are not paying attention and playing the wind, then we got issues um, and we need to go back to the drawing board because that's uh, that's hunting 101. So top three Tony Wintrip tips or tactics and the why behind them. Uh, 
So besides, besides uh, shooting and being in good shape, uh, those are, those are uh, really critical, obviously. But I think my, my number one tip or tactic would be your setup. There's so many people that don't understand if you're on the edge of a clear cut and you're trying to call an elk out of the timber and you're out in the clear cut 80 yards, you're going to have an 80 yard shot is going to be about the best you're going to get. You know what I'm saying? He's going to come out and he's going to take a look and he's going to go, well, where are you? You've been calling at me for the last 20 minutes. And then they know the gig's up. They're gone. Right. right? Wide open. So, so, so your setup needs to be, uh, structured. You, you've got to have something around you to make them want to come take a peek. And then um, another one would be know your yardage before your shot. If you're planning on working a bull to a certain place, you better, uh, you know, you better range find all the places that you have for a potential shot. Those, those are, those are really important. And then the wind, man, You've got to, you've got to know the wind. You've got to have a windicator. You've got to, I mean, if you don't have a windicator, you can grab anything off the ground, flip it up in the air. Any of those grass tips that you can grab on and just toss, you know, toss it up in the air to, you know, to see which way the wind's blowing. Those are good ones. Um, and as far as more tactics than tips, I would say, that's a, that's a tough one, a tactic. <laughs> um, I guess maybe the tactics would be the right gear that fits you and not what somebody tells you you should get. Ooh, man, don't get me going uh, on gear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and it's just like, it's just like range finders. There's, there's a bunch of great ones. And then there's a bunch of low-end budgeted ones that don't gather light. And I've had crappy range finders before where, if you're going to hunt a late season, you're going to deal with not much light in the timber and stuff like that. You want to make sure you got something that gathers some good light because when that bull's standing there, you know, 40, 50 yards, and you know that's within your range, but you, you just don't have the light to, to make an accurate uh, range, it could affect you. So gear, gear is really important for, you know, for what fits you. Some like binoculars too. There's another one. There's people with, everybody's got different eyes. I mean, you might have Shirovskis and a guy that's 70 years old might go, I can't see shit out of these things, but I can see really good through my Tascos. You know what I mean? So there's something for everyone when it comes to that. Um, Oh, that's not really tactics. Sorry. No, but, but <laughs> I told you, I told you I'm not that good yeah, at talking. <laughs> but no, that's a that's a really good conversation though, um, because there's a lot of there's a lot of let me exceed, and I'm trying to say this in a nice way. Let me exceed my budget mm-hmm. because I'm told that's what I need. Versus, let me get everything that I need that's going to get me through a couple seasons and add on with that exceeding the budget purchase over time. Um, 
there's a lot to be said for that, man. And there's certain things that, in my opinion, you can't skimp on. One, it's good quality camo, a good pair of boots. And then I'm going to go with you on the rangefinder, man, because and, and no offense to those companies, but some of the lower end rangefinders, low light. Um, and I'm sure you've experienced on the uh, on the Washington coast there with fog, man. <clears throat> you get into uh-huh. a thick enough fog and you try to hit that rangefinder and that son of a gun is bouncing all over the place on you if you're lucky. Yes. Yep. And you know, I, I lived my life around the dirty 30. I call it the dirty 30 because it's, you know, the first 30 minutes of daylight's not very light. And then the last 30 minutes isn't very light. And those are the times when you, when everybody's moving, you know, deer and elk are on the move going into the timber in the dirty 30, uh, you know, the first 30 and then the last 30, same thing. They're trying to come out. So if you're in there waiting for that last shot and you don't have the right equipment, you might as well not even be there. Right. Right. So I, I think it's really important, but I, my number one tactic I would say for calling in elk is getting the wind right and being confident with your calling and knowing where the elk are going to go when they do bust. You know, I've hunted these elk on the coast in the coast range for so many years that when they take off from one place and I'm like, oh, they're spooked, we'll just give them a couple hours and we'll, we'll make another move. I, we know where they're going and we'll go see what he's doing from there. You know, just, yeah, I, I would say that much, just knowing you know, and knowing the critters that you're going after. That's a, that is more difficult than you make it sound. And the reason I say that is like for me here in California, right? I have 17 elk points this year. Um, I probably won't draw until I have 23 to 25. It's just, you know, I'm gonna put in, but it's the way it goes. Um, but then, so it's so a lot of out of state hunting, and even if you you know you're making that trek to Oregon or Colorado, how many times can a guy you know pull off of work go do that? So it's a there's some difficulty, and I guess it's a plus on the guys that are able to hunt a home range um, mm-hmm. to get that understanding and that knowledge base down. Unless you're hunting that same area, you know, year after year, if it's an out of state hunt, and that's kind of the dilemma I'm in. I've gotten you know Wyoming. I went to Wyoming. And I was able to kill a bull. Um, unfortunately, you know, circumstance had it that that bull didn't come home with me. It went home with someone else. Um, oh. And then, you know, going to Colorado, getting our butts kicked for 16 days, seeing signs, seeing a couple elk, and I say a couple, and then having, you know, hangups on bulls um, that were barely bugling. Um, it's like, okay, do I go back? Do I go back to that? OTC in Colorado until Wyoming lets me back in um, or do I go explore another area because I got my butt kicked right so there's some knowledge base uh-huh. that I have in an area versus going and exploring somewhere else it's really hard when you start talking out of state to to get that knowledge base and to understand that that area and how the elk move through that area um, so I think that's important, that's a, you know, it, it's a good conversation yes. when you start looking at, yes. Hey, I'm going to go from unit 62 over to unit 161 because 62 kicked my ass. Well, there's a lot that I learned in 16 days and it's almost foolish to yes. move that unit, you know? Yes. Now that's a good point. And, and all options are out. Um, you know, as far as what, when I'm talking about, uh, 
me knowing where the elk are going, it's just because of the herds that I hunt around home. It's you're totally right. It's nothing to do with, um, out of state that that's a whole different, uh, that's a different monster. You don't know where they're going to go yet because you don't have as much, uh, time dedicated into it as you do in your home turf. So I guess in, in that turn that then you have to make your decision of, um, you know, well, is there anybody else around here that's going to go after them or should we just not push them? So that's the part where you really can't elk it at that time unless you're you're down to your last, you know, two days of being there going, we got we got to go on it. This is all we got. Man, I'm going to disagree with you again because I don't yeah. <laughs> because if I, like I said, if I would have just elked it, I might have laid that bull down if mm -hmm. you know what I mean? That 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 cautious side of elk hunting that as a new elk hunter that we believe is there, I think that shit needs to go mm -hmm. out the window, to be honest with you. Um, but then going back to what we were talking about and me kind of challenging that statement, I think, and, and when I talk to a guy that's been hunting elk and as successful as you are in elk hunting, there's, there's something you can take from your home range and that knowledge base and go out of state and have a higher level of success than a guy that doesn't have that experience. So I want to qualify that there too, and not get too, you know, I don't want you to think, God damn, yeah. you know, um, no, it's, it's still a judgment call all the way. I'm just, I mean, that, that was, you know, based on you or me or, or how you hunt or how I hunt. If, if I've got two days left and, you know, I'm in that situation where, okay, now do I let them just run off and try and come back tomorrow? And then, then that cuts me to one day. So, I'm with you right then. I'm going to just elk it. Right? But if you. it's the, if it's the first day and I don't really know, and I don't feel that confidence that Holy shit, if I push them out of here, they might go 10 miles, uh, you know, and you're in the back country or something like that. But I guess it's knowing your ground too. That's probably a good point. You know, if, if, if you are going to just elk it, you've got to know that you've, you have some sort of a way of of having that second opportunity when you're elking it, right? Like, uh, you, you know, if it's straight downhill into the big giant canyon and then their nose to it, and you think, well, I'm just going to elk it. But if those elk are going downhill and you're chasing after them, you're never going to catch Hell them. Hell no. <laughs> you, you know, so, so I guess, you, you know, it's more of a judgment call. That's a tough one. But I'm with you. I'm with you. It's it's definitely okay to uh, disagree for sure. I you know that's my motto going into this season, man. Um, is I'm telling you, I'm gonna be saying that shit all year. Just elk it, just elk it, just elk it. So our our <laughs> first evening in camp last year, right? We we actually set a base camp last year, and me and my boy went out, and uh, one of the guys that was with us. Um, Thought we were going to see, you know, a Walmart or something. He could get his tag. He had to run a town. We called it short and we went back to camp, set up, you know, just hung out long, you know, 18 hour drive. And we're sitting in camp, man. And just below camp, we hear this, you know, little weak bugle call, you know, kick off. Oh, crap. You know, I tell my boy, get your bow. I grabbed my calls, um, went over there, man, and, you know, started raking and messing around with him. And he's down on the bottom. I think he was three or four benches down. And I mean, you're talking, you're talking a 50 to 60 yard shot max, right? But he's behind this little tiny patch of aspens there, little new growth. And uh, he's just raking and raking, man. And we're going back and forth, back and forth. And we just, we played that scenario with him for a good 35, 40 minutes. 
and I wasn't worried about just elking it. I was, we were, and it was hindsight. We were in dominant position. He wasn't going to come up that hill. I had no idea. And going back to it, man, if, if I would have just elked it and told my boy, Hey, you go, you know, go 60 yards, drop down that hill and then just come in parallel in his butt. I'll keep him here. Um, I wouldn't be regretting the decision to, <laughs> to, Hey guys, it's our first night. We can't pull him up. Let's not spook him. And I pulled off of it. Cause I'm thinking, just like you said, he's going to be there tomorrow, man, the high nor hair for gotcha. four days, you know? And it's like, I'm telling you, it's my motto. Yep. Man. <laughs> it's my motto yep. this year. Yep. And I don't, yep. Good. I don't think that it's heard. I don't, I don't think that enough people, at least in the, in the beginner stage of it, we'll call it hear that enough right i i, I mm-hmm. you know again going back to it it's calling scenarios we're gonna call them in and man you just gotta go because what's the worst case scenario is you blow them out well if you don't call them in to that that shooting lane or that range it, it's the same yeah. outcome you know i'm going same aggressive difference. brother yep. <laughs> i'm yep. going aggressive yep. man yep. <laughs> same difference. i'm with you 100 percent oh I, yep. yeah, that, and, and you know, and each, each time that it doesn't work out after that, it's just another one of those, you know, that you just chalked up to, well, okay, what could have I done different? And eventually if you mix the two together, you're going to get the right. <laughs> eventually. <you know? laughs> yeah. And that's the hard There's nothing part. Nothing easy. Yeah, there's nothing easy about it. The hard that's the no. hard part, man, is is you look at is you look at harvest statistics on archery bulls and we go in with this notion that in our first couple of years that we're going to get this mess done and I mean you're looking at areas, you know, OTC that is less than 1% of success rate. So this notion of you know these magical calls that I have after after driving around for six months blowing a bugle and blowing out some amp frames um yeah man it's uh it's it's almost laughable in hindsight almost laughable oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, there there's years that it just flat with some people is not gonna happen i've seen the worst luck with the with some people uh a buddy of mine that i hunt with he drew a tag a few years ago and and we had him on elk in so many different ways and, you know, when you draw one of those tags, your expectations are, Oof. I really want to shoot a big bull. And on the first day, you know, we get a, a cascade rosy six by six at 48 yards and quartered away, just beautiful shot. It's the first hour and a half of the hunt. And he doesn't shoot. And he's like, I think I can do better. Oh, and which was, which was, which was a good respectable opinion because he wanted to try and, you know, shoot something bigger than he's ever shot. Well, it went south from there. I mean, everything just was, it was almost like God saying, Don't, beggars can't be choosers. That's it. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it had to be him and super good dude. And it just, no matter what, you know, bull comes in and we'd sat there for so long on the last day. It got cold as heck. We're in the high country. And he comes in at 25 yards and uh, he's situated to where he's going to pull back at a certain angle and the bull comes out in a different spot. And he's so cold, he can't pull his bow back. He was shaking and trying to pull it back and he couldn't pull it back. And then 
he took that second burst and that bull saw him and boogered. And we're just like, no matter what happens on this hunt, it just wasn't meant to be. <laughs> and that's, that's <laughs> hunting, always, though. <laughs> it is. Yep. So that's gotta be, I don't know, man. It's, I, I think there's a part of that uncertainty that is what drives us to it. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, if it was cliche, right. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Um, but there's something about the uncertainty and, and what you have to put out for that reward is, uh, I know for me, man, it, it keeps me going. It's, it's one of the driving forces in the whole game. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can't be afraid to formulate a plan and just try it. I've called several bulls in by myself and I love the one-on-one with them because that's what made has made me a better hunter is figuring out if I was the caller, how am I going to set up to get this bull for the shooter? Well, all of a sudden I'm the caller and the shooter, right? So you, you know, it's all about that setup for, I want to set up on this little bench right here because he's got to come through that draw to come see me. And then as soon as he comes through that draw, I've already ranged it. It's 25 yards. There's my shot. But I had a I had a really cool experience I'll share with you really fast. But uh, the one of the coolest bulls that I've ever called in by myself was the second bull that I killed. And he was bedded in the bottom of a clear cut along a creek bottom with like six or eight cows. And they all had their heads down bedded, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going to get the wind right. And I'll just, you know, go into the corner of the clear cut and that draw. And I'll just cow call a couple times, and I and I peeked around this stump. I mean, it's it's a friggin' four year old clear cut. You could see forever in it, but there was a blemish of a draw in between. So I cow called a couple times, just as I was telling you earlier about, you know, I kind of visualized uh, an elk sleeping. You know, they cat nap here and there. He might not have heard a cow get up and walk away eighty yards. So I cow called a couple of times. And I peeked around the stump down there just to see what he was doing at like between 80 and 120 yards. He's out of range. And he gets up out of his bed and he just looks like, what the hell, what the hell happened? You know, the rest of the cows are sitting there with him and they're just looking around too, like, well, well, what is it? And then I pulled the old screechy bugle. I turned the tube away and I let out a small bull. Here he come. And he walked right up there thinking that another bull came in and, and took one of his cows while he was catnapping. And I smoked him at 22 yards. And that was the confidence builder in my calling the second year I did it. I was like, well, I get it. This is exactly how I planned it. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. But that's exactly what that, you know, that was a three and a half year old bull. He, he was just like, what did I miss? Well, why is this happening up here? I got to go see what's going on. And that's all it takes. You got to get him to come see. And that lends itself to having an understanding too, though, right? Is 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 under you understanding that scenario, the position you were in with that bull, with that herd of cows, and understanding where you needed to start and what was going to get him ramped up. Um, yep. And I think a lot of that yep. is paying attention to those scenarios. Um, and you hear that a lot, right? Is you got to know what you're saying yeah. and when to say it. And I think that that is paramount when we start talking elk. Um, Absolutely. The yep. One one of the things that I had focused on, right, was oh, I need to have this perfect sounding bugle. 
And you, so you're you're listening to, you know, guys like Dirk and Paul Medell and Michael Batiste. And they, they got these beautiful bugles, man. Um, and you're trying to emulate that. But at the end of the day, the frustration and all oh, my calling sucks. You don't have any confidence, man. I, I haven't. I, I stopped listening to that, I guess, the tonal qualities of their calls and started paying attention to what the elk are saying. So watching a ton of like Nat Geo type stuff. Um, and that's mm-hmm. really helped with my understanding. You're able to watch that behavior. Oh, OK, maybe that's what I did wrong because this is the response I'm getting here. Just trying to piece it together what's a perfect bugle right i mean that crisp clean sound is amazing but man i'm not the guy (laughs) no no and a lot of those competition bugles are not even the bugles that you want to use in a calling scheme they're they're the pretty sounds that you want to hear of that bull that's off in a meadow with 60 cows in in yellowstone where you're like wow Mm -hmm. that is the majestic bull elk right so when you put yourself in these calling schemes and you've heard it yourself as many as there's so many bulls that sound so different. You're like, I think that's a guy. And then the only time that you, you think, yeah, that pretty sure that's a guy. And it turns out to be an elk. It's happened to every one of us. Granted, granted, a lot of times, you know, if you, you try to bugle in a bull without a tube and you're using a reed and you're just using your mouth as kind of a, you know, you're cupping. Right. Everybody can, everybody can tell you're, you know, you're somebody with a, a diaphragm, right? With a, with a frame. Um, but when you get in those calling schemes, everything's, you know, you, you're mimicking that bull. If he just, he has a single chuckle, right? He, he does a bugle and he does a single chuckle. It's like, okay, that's not the perfect bull elk that I heard on the, <laughs> yeah. the TV or on a video. So you're like, well, what's he doing? What's going on? So, you know, you're using, you know, a whole different, uh, a whole different bunch of calls and, and, you know, stick them with what works for you and not trying to sound too pretty. I, I really don't think you need to sound too pretty. No, I agree, man. I, I mean, with, again, with my limited experience, I think that is less important than, than most, most of it. Uh, Cause you can, I mean, you could blow out a, you know, a nice little bugle and, and, you know, a three note chuckle, and think it sounds like crap, man. You get to the woods, and that might be what fires that bull off because he has no idea that he doesn't know that bull. He wasn't in the bachelor group. Yeah, you know, gotta. Yep there's there's a there's a video on my YouTube channel or on my Bull Down Productions site, and you can click on it. And it's a bull that I called in with a, a reed without a tube two years ago, and you can see the reaction of that elk. I I didn't intimidate him at all. He just was like, well, I got nothing to lose. I got to see what's going on over here. And that's exactly what he did. He came in and I shot him at like, I don't know, 48, 45, 48 yards or something like that. But I I had, uh, you know, been calling at that bull for quite a while. And then I just kept putting the pressure on him. But I kept putting the pressure on him, making him feel like it wasn't any bigger than he was. So he never ran off. He came in finally to say like, well. I got nothing to lose. I got to go see what this guy looks like. And there he was. That was the shot. It's over. Now, but it it doesn't sound good. It, but it doesn't sound that good on the video because I'm cupping my hand bugling at the bowl versus having the tube, you know, it just doesn't, 
And so when people hear that, they're like, oh, that sounds like shit, you know, but bull's dead. There's a dead bull. There's a bull dead. <laughs> bull down, baby. That's it. That's it, man. So. Yeah, that's a, it's, I, I'm telling you, man, it's an interesting, it's an interesting realm to take everything we see in here and then, you know, go and try and apply it and really analyze what we're doing towards that, you know, that bull down and, and to see what's working and what's not. It's just a different level, especially because it's a lot of it is about vocalization and it's just something else, man. That shit has me spun 365 <laughs> days a year, man. Like I can't get it out of my head no matter how hard I try. If if I'm hungry or if I'm thinking about work, 10 seconds later, man, I'm like Elk Woods, something about what what yeah. can I do to help it this year, man? <laughs> yes. It's an addiction. It's but it's an it's a beautiful addiction, man. I mean, the the time you spend out there and like I said before, the the amount of effort you are willing to put into that and what you take away from that, not just in the not just in the pursuit, but in the entire experience. I mean, you're in some of the most beautiful country going mm-hmm. as hard as you possibly can and and you really you know you're up against it but man and none of it matters you just go you just go and it's yes. it's just a beautiful experience man i don't know how else uh, to describe it you know it's just it's a beautiful experience it really is and it's one of those times a year where you know all your buddies get excited everybody you're affiliated with it's like good luck this year and my biggest bit of advice that i always say is enjoy it every, you know, hunt every day, like it's your last, because if that season is 14 or 17 days long, we all know it. You can't wait for the first day. And next thing you know, it's over. Mm. <laughs> right. Blink so you, you really got to suck in every day, make those days long. Don't make them short and say, I can't wait till tomorrow. You know, make that, make that one day pay, make every day pay with your, your family, your friends, who's ever in your camp and make those memories because, you know, you don't, nothing's for, you know, you don't, don't take nothing for granted. No, not guaranteed. And it's not guaranteed you're going to be out there the next season. That's right. (laughs) Not guaranteed, man. So bull down productions, man, why don't you drop a little bit about bull down and tell everybody where they can find, uh, the elk singer and the, the new and latest, uh, album and, and the 2014 release of bull down. Oh yeah. Okay. So, uh, bulldownproductions.com is, uh, we've got a few pictures up there. I don't watch it as good as I should, but, uh, and, unless somebody purchased something out of the store, it's called the elk, elk camp general store. And it always sends me a, a reminder or sends me a notice of when somebody purchased something, but I sell straight out of elk camp apparel, which I've got a trademark pending on. And then my new album freezer bound, I've got a trademark pending on it also, but pull down. Yeah. 2014. And then the just elk, it was off of the Northwest wild album. So, so that's on there. You can, you can purchase all three albums online, bulldownproductions.com. And then of course the straight out of elk camp and the bull down apparel. Um, there's also my music's available on iTunes and CD baby and Amazon and you can, you know, view all the songs, but, uh, that's basically, you know, and then there's a couple of videos on there as well. Uh, Northwest wild's got some fishing, 
catching some steel hit on it. And then, you know, the pulldown productions.com has a, a really cool hunt where, uh, you know, a party of five of us were working a bull and it's just, uh, it's real, man. Just it's real stuff. There's no stage scenes in any of that. And, and, <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. I mess up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's all part of it, man. That's all part of it. It is. Uh, and it lends. Don't be afraid. No, I was going to say it lends itself to your to your successes as well. Well, thank you, buddy. Yeah, I mean that you know it, it it without those failures, man, you don't you don't you don't grow in in any aspect no. of life, man. Especially you know, especially in the woods. Yes, and you know, you a guy never knows everything, too. I mean, I've been around so many people in this, uh, you know elk hunting world and you as well you'll get around people that just think they know everything and they're not willing to take advice if i get around any veteran elk hunters i mean they don't even have to be veteran elk hunters they could be younger kids that might know something that i don't know i'm listening but if it's if it's those older guys you know there's a bunch of uh veteran elk hunters that have seen they've seen it all man i mean we think we've seen it all you 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 know, you got somebody with 20 or 30 more years out there. Don't be one of those arrogant guys that isn't willing to listen to what somebody else has to say. And your story is no better than anybody else's, man. The camaraderie of this elk hunting world has got to get stronger. We got we to gotta grow together and hunt together and keep sharing this stuff. Like, you know, all these podcasts are amazing, man. They're so fun. And you learn so much about people that you've never met. Yep, that's so. why I love it, man. And and on the other side of that, and, and it's not on the other side, it's in line with it. Um, in order to keep this alive with all we're up against, we have to be supportive of everyone in this community, you know, differences or otherwise. Um, if guys are out there doing it ethically and responsibly to keep this going, man, for generations, that's it's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. We got to drop. Yep, we got some stupid ass man. divides. Oh, we do for sure. So we do for sure. One of the things, man, I started asking, and it doesn't really have to do with hunting. It can, um, but improvement, right? I, I'm always looking at ways to improve. You know, as a father, as a husband, um, as a hunter. What's uh? Give me one thing that you're you're working on, you know, this year for this season or just, you know, in life in general. Um, <clears throat> there is one improvement I'm going to tell you right out of the gate. Obviously, I always want to put family and being a father first, being a, you know, father, husband, friend. You always want to be the best that you can at that. But. Man, I've got a particular bull <laughs> that escaped me three times last year that I should have harvested. And my improvement to myself, I guess, would be <sighs> second guessing. I second guess myself twice and it cost me that elk. Your first premonition. Go with it. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to just, <laughs> I want to harvest this bull. Let's put it that way. I'm going <laughs> to. Which is a great bull for the Washington coast. And it's just got me. 
All right. It's Heck got yeah. me. <laughs> I, I got a buck that I'm chasing here, man. That, uh, that's got me two years like that. And I, I keep telling myself he's dead this year. So I, I totally feel you there, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, pro- I guess a lot of it's probably going to go to, um, improving as shooting too, because the first time I had an opportunity at that bowl, I had him at 44 yards and I called him in and he just hung up and he started raking a bunch and it was opening day. So they weren't super, super hot yet, but you know, he, he come away. And I didn't see one limb about, I mean, you hear this story all too often, right? Everybody, oh, I hit a limb, I hit a limb. Well, I ain't kidding you, man. It looked clear as could be. And I've been in the situation 21 I know for sure 21 times <laughs> and <laughs> I shot and uh, my son, he'd come home from college and he wanted to go hunt with me that weekend. And he had this GoPro on my hat and I forgot all about it. I was like, this ain't going to work Cole. I mean, he wouldn't come to the grade that I was trying to call him on. And so here I use my just elk theory again. And I'm like, I'm just going to pull back and I'm going to creep through the ferns and I'm going to kill him. And so at that point, I didn't have any idea how far he was. It was just, if he was going to be top pin, he was going to be top pin, right? So as he started raking and he was making all that noise, well, that's your best time to make a move, right? Because he's making so much noise. I just made my move, which was about 10 or 15 feet to be able to shoot over in a, in a little saddle. And he had his head, his head down raking so hard. I thought, well, heck, now I've at least got time to range him. So I let down... And then I ranged him, you know, and I'm like, well, that's clear as a bell, 44 yards, whatever it was. Well, I pulled back and I hit that limb and I was so convinced that I killed that bull. He jumped and he went about 20 yards and I hit him with a cow call really quick, like to stop him, you know, like everybody should always do have a cow in, or a call in their mouth. And then he walked off and I was like, oh, he can't be far. Well, I went down there and I found my arrow about 10 feet off. And then I saw that razor burn from my broadhead as I walked back up towards my son where he had the video camera and I went, no way. I mean, that, that thing was like maybe a foot long and it kind of was at an angle and I cut it in half. Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) So, so anyway, uh, yeah, not to ramble on too much guy. Sorry about that. No, no uh, I really wanted to share that. (laughs) So just when you think everything's perfect, like we said, uh, you know, that happened and, and then he just got the best of me after that. But I ended up uh, ended up killing another bull that wasn't wasn't his caliber, and but was still meant the world to me. Obviously, and for a party of five of us, you know, we we always split up the meat, and um, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah! Well, shoot, man. Um, like I said earlier, we've been trying to do this for a while, and schedules are what they are. But man, I appreciate the hell out of. Uh, getting to sit down with you, man, and finally chop it up a bit for the podcast and get some good elk knowledge out there for the folks, man, and uh, wish you the best uh, in your endeavors this year, man. Anything uh, you, anything we missed that you want to jump on before we close this up? No, I don't think so. Um, it's a hard one, man. Just be humble and kind, everybody. You know, just never be too good for everybody else. There's too many people that are on a hierarchy and they think that this world is theirs and and they don't deserve the, you know, they don't have the time to send you a message back when you private message them and tell them how much you enjoy their stuff. You know, be humble and kind. Every one of us, we're no, we're no different. We're no, 
we're no bigger and better than anybody else. So he who dies with the most friends wins, man. Hell yeah, man. That's a hell of a closer, brother. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, man. And seriously, you know, uh, I don't know if, if a Roosevelt Bowl's on your bucket list, but you got my number and, you know, we've got time in our lives to, to make something happen. Uh, you know, you're always welcome. I appreciate that, man. And hunting with Tony Wintrip is on my bucket list, brother. <laughs> right on, buddy. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate you and you're an amazing man. Thank you, man. You betcha. listening follow and tag us on instagram at western contours jump on itunes google play and podbean subscribe leave us a comment and don't forget to hit that five-star rating we appreciate the support and until next time lay them down we spend a lot of time preparing for our hunts and how we fuel our efforts is key head over to valley to peak nutrition.com helping you perform optimally in the backcountry the purpose of valley to peak is to provide sound nutritional information supported by science to help you prepare and perform optimally in the backcountry there's no secret this is done through education coaching and programming based on personal goals and preferences head over to valley to peak nutrition.com or catch them on instagram at v2p nutrition